We hope you enjoy this message recorded at Equipus Church in Eden. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com. Someone stopped me at the stoplights the other day and they said, excuse me, sir, can you tell me the fastest way to the city? And I said, are you driving or are you walking? And they said, we're driving. I said, well, that's the fastest way. So, you know, so it didn't go down real well. Yeah, there you go. This morning I shared a little bit about the sad loss of our son, Chris, two years ago. There was a moment during that journey where my heart was so broken, but I got on my knees next to my bed one night and I said, it might have been a day, I can't remember the exact time. And I said, God, I don't understand, but I trust you. I trust you. I wasn't ready for the response. The response that came back in my mind, if you're visiting, it's not like I heard the audible voice of God, but it was a loud response. I often tell people anything that's smarter than I can think of that comes into my head, it's probably God. And the response was, and I trust you. Oh, wow. God, you trust me. What do you trust me with? And he goes, I just trust you to finish your race strong and to represent me all your life the way you know. And it's still a new thing for me to realise that God so believes in us. We've been singing about it tonight, that God so believes in us and yet society has so conditioned us to only know love with conditions. I grew up in an Italian culture that was brought to Australia and my parents were very religious and they were very um, weird in some of their religious beliefs. And so I was only accepted if I looked a certain way. I grew up in the era of the Beatles where we had long hair. I just would like to have hair, but, you know, hair today, gone tomorrow, but that's what happens. And, um, you know, and my dad was a barber as a part-time job. So he would cut my hair really short because Christians are not supposed to look like the world. So I'm in a foreign country, brought to the country at the age of four, only spoke Spanish because I was born in South America, now in a, an Italian-speaking Australian city, Adelaide. They kicked me out of school for the first year because I kept kicking the teacher out of fear because I couldn't understand the language around me. And so my life in Australia started in a weird religious background, a foreign country, And what didn't help was the lunches my mum used to make. I mean, these days you call them focaccia or you call them, you know, weird but real trendy. You pay a lot of money for these sandwiches. But I went to school when that wasn't in fashion. I'd go in with eggplant sandwiches, garlic and salami and you would pull up at school and they could smell you coming. Short hair when everybody had long hair. I would come to school with these smelly lunch boxes with a name like Alfredo Daniele Guglielmucci sitting next to a Peter Smith. I mean, somehow you didn't feel like you belonged. 
I used to try to swap my sandwiches for hot dogs. Or they, the Aussies used to have Vegemite sandwiches with sometimes fritz, what they call fritz or bologna sandwiches with hundreds and thousands on the outside. <laughs> but I so wanted to fit in because I wanted to belong. But I always felt that love for me was always with conditions. You know, our world is full of if you sleep with me, I'll love you or if you do this, I'll love you or because you look so awesome. Oh, I just take one look at you and I'm so in love with you. What happens if that look changes in 10 years? Man, I used to be so skinny, I had one stripe in my (laughs) pyjamas. Now they've turned into circles. (laughs) Honestly, you think, man... I take longer cutting the hair in my nose and my ears now (laughs) than I did on my head when I married my... I was married at 18. My wife and I were nothing like we look today. You see, if kind of love or because kind of love, because you look so awesome, I love you. Or if you do this, I love you. It's not the love God talks about. Because the love God talks about says doesn't matter what you look like. Doesn't matter where you came from. I believe in you. And it's taken me so many years to actually believe that. Not just here, but in here. That God's okay with me. You know, I was one of the founders of Youth Alive and I was in the room in Australia the day Youth Alive was born. I remember the tears that we cried for our nation as we wanted to see the youth of our nation transformed. We started a national team, but I was only the afternoon speaker. I only got to preach in the afternoon because I wasn't as good as the other guys as preacher. And I used to say to myself, how come I'm always in the background? I'm always the guy that doesn't get to go overseas and preach. And I used to always look down on myself because of this whole conditional acceptance and I remember one afternoon at a camp an Australian camp I got to preach in the afternoon and most people didn't show up I was the afternoon speaker where everybody would fall asleep after lunch but at the end of speaking a young lady comes out and she goes God just gave me the answer I wanted in the word that you just preached Pastor Danny, you got no idea what life-changing moment that was for me. That young lady's a pastor at Hillsong today. Her name is Donna Crouch. (laughs) And you think you got no idea when God is going to use you when you don't even know you're being used by Him. But I have over many years now come to be so cool with who I am in Him because there's only one you. And you need to be a good original and not a copy of something else, as you may have heard before. And so tonight I want to talk just for a few minutes about a choice you can make in this room tonight that you'll never have to make again. We make choices every day. We decide where we're going to go to eat or what we're going to wear, uh, you know, and uh, the decisions that we need to make for that day. Every day when our feet hit the ground, we make decisions. Some we can look back and go, I wish I hadn't have made that decision like buying that car I talked about this morning. <laughs> but there's two decisions tonight 
that you can make, one will destroy your life or at least give you an unhappy life. May not destroy you, but you'll feel like you're being destroyed. And the other one can set you free and you don't have to make the decision every day. It can be made once. I've been married to Sharon 45 years nearly. And I don't wake up every morning and go, do I still stay married today? Some people do that, but I don't have to make that decision. I gave my life to Jesus as, at an 11 years of age. I don't wake up every morning. Do I have to give my life to Jesus today? Do I have to give my life to Jesus? No, I made that decision. It's a decision I'd never have to make again. I make it daily to stay in love with Jesus. You know what I mean. But So as a young boy, my dad and I would ride our push bikes every Saturday morning for about three kilometres, four kilometres to the rich area of Adelaide, a place called St. George where all the rich people lived. We used to do the gardening for a surgeon, never had children. Him and his wife never had children. He was now, and they were both in their 80s, living in this mansion and we would do their gardening, their hedges, we'd ride our bikes and I would help my dad. One day he calls me in. And he goes, we never had children and I feel like you're a great grandchild of ours. Want to give you a gift. And we got no one else to give it to. We want to give it to you, Danny. I was only a kid, 11 years old, you know, just a kid. He gives me this big mahogany box. I went to open the box. It was all filled with beautiful green felt and it was a brass microscope that had been brought out to Australia on a sailing ship from his relatives that had come out to be the first surgeons on a sailing ship to Australia. And he gives me this brass microscope with little lenses and, you know, I didn't really know what it was. You know what I did? I swapped it for a bag of marbles at school. Can you believe that? I swapped this microscope in a mahogany box it could pay for a house today that thing could be in a museum today but somehow this great treasure I didn't know its value but the marbles at school that we used to play with gee they were nice marbles (laughs) they were full of colour nice stripes going through them and We used to swap marbles at school. So my friend Jerry, whose brother years later became best man at my wedding, by the way, I swapped with Jerry. I took the marbles. I thought I got the better deal. And he took the microscope and not realising its value, one day he just chucked it out. I feel sick just telling you the story right now. Not a good choice. That was a bad choice. I took something of such incredible value and I swapped it for something that was colourful and popular but nowhere near its value. And we take the gifts that God has for us individually. He has given us all a God shape. We're all different. We're all meant to be complementary to one another. Not one pastor should look like another. Thank God for the pastors you have that have got their unique self and you guys are going to build something awesome. Not because you're awesome, you are, but God is awesome in you and He's not going to do it like He does it with somebody else. He's going to do it through who you are. 
And if we don't realise the value God puts on us, we can go and even swap the way we do things for the way the world out there expects us to do them and end up really screwing up our lives. And I discovered there are two decisions. That was a bad choice. I just wish I could find that microscope today. I could do my retirement really well. Bag of marbles, man. How dumb can you be and still breathe? (laughs) But I was only 11. He gave my father an old Pontiac car with a big long nose with a little two windows at the back. My dad sold it for 100 pounds because he smashed it into a fence because he taught himself to drive because he paid for his licence. Didn't have a driver's licence, he paid for it because that's what Italians did back then. They used to bribe their way through. And so one of my uncles bought the Pontiac. He made a lot of money on the Pontiac. So me and Dad, both dumb at that time (laughs) in our decisions. But I've made better choices since then. But there's one choice that you can make tonight and that is the real dumb one. And there's one choice you can make that is awesome. The dumb decision you could make tonight is to stay living with rejection. Or the great decision you can make tonight is to live by God's acceptance of you. I know how God feels about me now. The songs we sang tonight, some people say to me, Christians don't tell lies, they just sing them in their songs. Because we sang some amazing truth tonight, but is it true? Because I know I was loved only with conditions, as I told you. Rejection was a big part of my life. Because my dad didn't want me to be modern, because that wasn't religious back then. Would you believe at a time when the Beatles were really popular, he made me learn to play the violin. (laughs) I mean, fiddler on the roof. I mean, this is just bad stuff. I mean, it gets worse. He forced me to play the violin. I didn't want to play the violin. I wanted to play drums. I wanted to play guitar. I wanted to be like my friends. But he wouldn't let me unless I played the violin. So he sent me to the Conservatory of Music. So I would go every Thursday night for violin lessons with my cousin who lived with us and he would babysit me. The only joy for my life, this is why I've ended up like this. The only joy was there was a hot dog stand (laughs) at the end of the street where we had the lessons. So I looked forward to the hot dog, not the violin. And then one night we had baptisms and the band had to stand up and play the hymn, the orchestra. And I'm playing the violin and someone shifted the chair behind me. And so when we went to sit down in church, I hit the floor. The violin goes one way and the bow goes the other and the whole church burst out laughing. I was 14 at this time. That violin was made in the 1800s out of red mahogany that my father had spent a lot of money on. And the next day I went and sold it at the second hand shop for hardly anything. And from that day to this, I've never, ever played the violin because when the church burst out laughing and I'm 14 years of age, I felt so big and I felt so useless and I felt so ridiculed and felt my parents wouldn't even protect me through that pain and yet they were the leaders of the church. You can imagine all the emotions within you. I mean, it's only a violin and and it might even sound a bit silly now, but when you're a kid and you're 14 years of age and you want to fit in, 
with everybody in this sense of rejection from culture, a sense of rejection from your own family, a sense of rejection from your friends and relatives who were Catholic and thought we were part of a religious sect. So wherever I turned, there was a sense of rejection. But I want to tell you, I'm so glad tonight that I know that I know that my God thinks I'm okay. He thinks you're okay. He's taken me to nations I never thought I'd ever go. I preach in places I never thought I'd preach. I minister to politicians I never thought I would. And I still know in myself I'm that same kid. And yet I had to make a choice to not live with rejection, but to live with acceptance. This morning we talked about, hey, if I know deity... He sorts out my dest- my identity. Then I'll have a destiny. Then I'll have authority and victory. Well, this is a flow on from that tonight. I'm saying, guys, make a choice. And say, so I'm going to live with God's acceptance of me. Two illustrations in the Bible. One bad one, one good one. The one who lived with rejection, I'm going to draw from Genesis chapter 4, the story of Cain and Abel. You know, where did Abel... Where did Cain get his wife from? I'd tell you if I was able. But anyway, oh, how bad is that? Some of you don't know the story. Some of you know the story of Cain and Abel. Before we read it, do you know one of the worst things that's happening in the church today is when people come and offer their services and someone says, no, we don't need that right now. And people feel rejected. Have you ever offered something to God and it just feels like it's not what he wants? I deal with hurt Christians all the time. I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, hurt people hurt people. If you don't deal with hurt, you'll end up hurting people. And so many Christians will go and offer things in 24 years of serving Edge Church as its leader. People would come sometimes and go, Pastor Danny, God's brought us to this church and we've got this ministry and we want to get involved. And if I say, well, right now we're not going in that direction as a church because God gives every church an assignment and everyone should come into alignment for that assignment. And so if you're not in alignment for the assignment, maybe that's not what we're going to do right now. People get offended. They get hurt. Don't you want my ministry? Don't you want what I've got to offer? And what happens here with Cain is God asks for an offering from Cain and Abel and he accepts Abel's offering, but he doesn't accept Cain's. Now, I'm not even going to read it. Let me just move quickly because of time because I want to get through some stuff. But you know something? Can you imagine offering God something and he goes, no, don't want it? The rejection would be huge. Try thinking of Cain for a moment where his brother's offering gets accepted, but his offering doesn't. But the part that really hits me deep down is that God speaks to Cain. First of all, he says, why do you look so dejected? Do you know the thing that speaks the loudest sometimes in our worlds is our body language. People don't have to open their mouth to say life ticketh. Life is really bad. It sucketh. Sometimes just our body language. How are you feeling? I'm all right. Are you well? Yep. But the whole body language speaks. And so Cain is feeling the rejection. And so he starts to show body language and he starts to get angry. And God speaks to him. He goes, listen, pal, I've, there's a reason why I couldn't accept your offering. But you know what? If you do what's right, you will be accepted. If you make a decision right now to sort out why... I've rejected your offering. 
you can be accepted because sin is waiting at the door, waiting to control you if you don't fix this issue. Do you know most Christians that are upset in church world will say things like this, I don't want to be controlled. The trouble is we're all controlled. We're either controlled by the Holy Spirit that sets us free or we're controlled by our pain and our rejection. And the Bible says that you you can put this right, Cain, but if you don't put it right, sin will be at the door. And the story ends up with Cain ending up in the land of Nod, which means to always be homeless and wandering. Do you know how many Christians are homeless? How many Christians are wandering around churches in New Zealand, the same as Australia, because they haven't found home, because they haven't dealt with their rejection. And yet there is an answer to that rejection if we come and realise that there is a God that thinks we're awesome. He doesn't reject any of us. And if we do what's right for us, I was saying to someone yesterday or maybe today at lunchtime that every one of us is, uh, we're not meant to just have gifts. If I was to put a Christmas tree up here, you wouldn't be able to eat off that tree unless there were chocolates on there. But a Christmas tree doesn't naturally produce fruit. It just has gifts on it. Do you know how many people only feel used because they have a gift? But if I put a fruit tree up there and it's in a pot and it's properly planted, it can sustain you. It can give you food. It can, it can refresh you. And we've ended up in a world full of Christmas trees where gifts, lights, sparkling. Look at what's on that person's life. Oh man, have you heard them sing? Aren't they? Um, you, know, you can have the best singer on stage, but they could be broken on the inside. And the fact of the matter is Jesus doesn't accept us because we're a Christmas tree. He accepts us because we are fruit trees bearing fruit for God. And it might not look as bright as a Christmas tree, but it can sustain you. A fruit tree can sustain you. And we're all different fruit trees, if you like. And I want to say this, if God wants you to be an apple tree, we can water you all day. You'll never become a banana tree. But we've got so many Christians that think the platform is the ministry. They think I want, I'm meant to be an apple, but I've got to be a banana because bananas are what everybody's eating right now. And I want to say to you, my friends, don't try to be a banana when God wants you to be an apple. You know, don't try to be something else because if you live with His acceptance of you, He'll never not have a place for you to fit in a place where you're fruitful. And I want to prophesy right now in the name of Jesus that in the next 20 years, we're going to see bivocational ministries. We're going to see people running successful businesses and building the house of God, doing amazing things. A millennial generation that doesn't need a platform but has a platform and that platform is in Sunday and Monday church and we can build out there and in here because the church is not a building, but the church is a people working outside its four walls. Man, when I get to heaven, if Cain is there, I'm going to punch him one. (laughs) And Adam and Eve, I think I'm going to give them a slap too. Not really. Say, come on, Cain. Why did you get so ticked? He kills his brother and goes, am I my brother's keeper? Well, you're supposed to be. Do you know how many Christians, when the church down the road gets bigger than theirs, or pastors even, they start murdering their brothers with words? We start killing people with our words. Oh, yeah, but they don't preach the deeper teaching. 
They don't have the real word of God. They're just attracting people, but they know there's no depth to that church. People that carry rejection because their church isn't as big as somebody else's, if they don't deal with that rejection, they start then being their brother's murderer with their words and start attacking people. But I want to tell you, that's all changing. And there's a millennial generation that doesn't give a rip about denominations, but you care about kingdom and you don't care on the label on the door because we're all brothers and sisters and we are our brother's keeper and we're going to be working together. What an incredible thing. You see, rejection leads to disappointment. Disappointment leads to discouragement. Discouragement leads to denial. You don't really own up to your rejection and you just live in denial. But what happens is then you distance yourself. Rejection leads to disappointment, to discouragement, to denial, to distancing, to to detachment and sometimes even self-destruction. When God called me into the ministry, I was the guy who failed at Bible school in all my assignments. Because, I mean, I, I was just, I was a bit of a thickhead, you know. I, I was the last one that I would have ever imagined God would call to the ministry. You know, when we started our church, 17 pastors who'd hit the wall joined our church. And one Sunday morning I'm preaching and I could feel the sense of all these guys sitting there going, oh, I can preach better than that. I can do better than that. And I stopped the meeting. I said, you know, some of you guys sitting here, and you're listening to me preach, and you're thinking, man, I'd do a much better job than that. I said, tough. God chose me, not you. What can I say? (laughs) I never asked for this. I never asked for this. God asked me to do this. God takes sometimes people. I'm not saying that about these guys, but, you know, it could be true. It could be true. It's true of me. I wouldn't have chosen me. But I thank God tonight I can stand in front of you and I don't have to be in my hotel room thinking, will they like me? Won't they like me? Will the sermon go down? Will I get invited back? Will they ring Sam Monk and tell him how my message really sucked? You know, I mean, you know, I don't feel that way, but I used to. I used to feel like that. And I want younger people in this room to never feel like that. Don't live with that sense of rejection. And then we go over to Psalm 139. I'll leave some things out because of time, because I want to show you something in just a moment very quickly. But in Psalm 139, we meet Dave, David. (laughs) Uncle Dave. Man, what a Wally. If your name is Wally tonight, I love Wallys. Please don't take it upset. He commits adultery. He stuffs up. His father, his fathering was not the best. His kids really messed up, you know. And you know what? You don't repair. Generations after you will repeat. I think his son had about 300 wives and 300 porcupines, was it? Or concubines. <laughs> and, uh, and David had about eight wives. So what one generation doesn't repair, wow. the next generation will repeat. And if we don't repair it properly, we'll repeat it worse. And David had a really sort of mixed life of so many broken things. And yet the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. I had an operation in 2017. I shared it with the pastors this week. They thought I had bowel cancer. And so it was a massive operation. They had to cut me right down. And I remember saying to my Samoan surgeon he was about this high and about this round I looked at him and I said this is not a hungy you know I mean, sorry. <laughs> he laughed 
I said, do I have to have chemotherapy after the operation? He goes, yes, we think you do. I said, well, I lose my hair. And he goes, you probably will be okay. I said, well, I play the piano after the operation. And he goes, we're operating on your stomach, not your hands. I said, please tell me, will I be able to play the piano? He goes, of course you will. I said, that's great because I couldn't play it before. (laughs) He must have thought I was crazy. But coming out of the operation in intensive care, the Lord dropped something into my heart. I won't give you the whole details of how it happened because of time. And he said to me, I've got no grace for carnality. I've only got grace for broken humanity. Listen to me. He said, I would rather people broken but open and honest than pretend they're okay because my grace can't go there because they are operating in their own strength. The Bible says he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And God said, I'm raising a new church that is not a perfect church, just an honest one. I'm raising a new church that's open but broken and say, hey, we're on a journey. We're not there yet. And the reason why God loved David so much is because every time he stuffed up, he'd come running back to God. And in Psalm 139, now you've got to understand, I grew up in a legalistic Italian church where my dad used to preach from Psalm 139, where it says, if I go to the bottom of the ocean, you'll be there. If I go to the top of the mountain, you'll be there. And my dad used to preach it like this. You think you can get away from God? (laughs) You go to the top of the mountain, he'll find you, man. (laughs) Go to the bottom of the ocean, he'll come and get you and pull your ears. You think you can get away from God? The judgment of God. I thought, oh, God hates me. I mean, I was 16 when I used to, 15 when I heard this. And you know what the hormones like at 15? I used to look at girls walking into church and go, oh, she's pretty. Oh, I'm going straight to hell. <laughs> I used, to go to, I used to, go to go to hell in church three times a meeting <laughs> with all the pretty girls in church. And then one day I'm reading that passage of Scripture. And it says, if I go to the bottom of the ocean, because you're omniscient, you're all-knowing, your love will find me there. If I go to the top of the mountain, you know everything about me anyway. Before I was born, you formed everything about me. Your love will find me there. And I realised what I was being preached at in the Italian church was the opposite of the truth. Because at the end of Psalm 139, this is what David says. He doesn't say, ha ha, I got away with it. Ha ha, I can sin and God doesn't mind. No, he goes, search me, O God. If there's anything in my mind, if there's anything in my motive, my heart, if there's anything in my manner, the way I behave, that doesn't make you happy, God. You just go for it. Clean me up, do what you've got to do, because I know your love is for me. And I know that you would go anywhere to restore me. My son, Michael, who wrote the song Healer, who lived with a serious sexual addiction for so many years because of stuff that happened in his childhood that his mum and I were not even aware of. We had no idea who many Christians thought, what a hypocrite, because he would sing great songs about God. It was the secular doctors who said to us, he's not a bad kid. It's just he would write all these songs because he thought if he could make God happy, then he could get help for his problem. So he learnt to live with two lives. 
He lived with this life he couldn't control and then try to get God's approval through the good stuff that he wrote and by being a great preacher on a platform, not realising that God loved him while he was broken. God loved him the way he was and if he had surrendered and if he'd put his hand up and gone to leadership and go, guys, I'm broken, I'm addicted, I've got issues and I need to step down for a while and get healed because God loves me more than what I do. But now he's living like that. But it was 10 years ago when we were judged by being Christmas trees and not just fruit trees. And I want to say Jesus Christ loves us with all our brokenness and he doesn't leave us there because he wants us to live with acceptance, not rejection. And he doesn't say until you clean your act up, I won't love you. He'll say, let's clean your act up because I love you. And I just don't want you to hurt anymore. And I want you to live a life of breakthrough. But until you get there, you see, I was telling the pastors about Scott McBain. You see, Scott is a radio announcer in Australia, in our city. At the age of 11, he was sexually abused by an Anglican priest. He was in the church choir. That man became a television personality and he became a radio personality but could not handle his brokenness, turned to drugs. God supernaturally brought me into his life just recently. And he spoke at a pastor's conference as a non-Christian. I took him around the world with me to speak to churches on how he feels about the church as a non-Christian who's been abused by the church. And I remember him standing in front of pastors and he's going, the first time Pastor Danny said, I can belong even though I don't believe. That was the first time I received unconditional love. I had no reason before to receive love unconditionally because people abused or abused me. He says, but you know what I've said to Pastor Danny because I'm not a Christian yet? He says, Pastor Danny, if you can't convert me, don't desert me. Because there's a world out there that thinks we only want to hurt, we only want to love them to get them to church. We only want to love them so that we can get them to join our group. Are we willing to love the broken and the hurting, even if they don't give us the response we want, but we just can't help ourselves but just love people because that's what Jesus would do because we don't have blockages inside of us because we've gone from not living with rejection but living with acceptance. Very quickly, if we can put the charts up uh, that I asked the guys, not the chart up, just those two, uh, uh, here we are. People that live with rejection are always reactionary. They're always rehearsing their hurt. They retaliate when people reach out to them because there's a sense of rebelling in there because I feel like I'm not being accepted. Sometimes they will retreat and they will also restrict their own growth and the growth of people around them. And on top of that, they will reject wise counselling and they become independent if they stay in a posture of rejection. Let me say this, if you go to the other chart, thank you, or the other set of uh, points, but people who live with acceptance, they respond to the love of God. They're nicer to be around. They relate well to people. If you're living with acceptance, you're not going to be prickly to be around. You're going to relate to people. You reach out when you're in trouble. Hey, I'm going through some stuff right now. I think I'm making some mistakes. Hey, please search me, oh God. Help me out. They respect diversity of opinion. They receive love without suspicion. When you show love that's genuine to someone who lives with rejection, they go, what are you doing that for? Why are you reaching out to me? What do you want? 
Yeah, yeah, oh, there's got to be a reason why you came to visit me. Oh, you just want me at church, don't you? You just want my bum on a seat. You don't care about me. And so they don't receive love without suspicion. With suspicion, the people that have rejection, the people that have acceptance, there's no suspicion. If I say I love you, go, thanks. That's great. You see, we judge people by what's inside of us. So if there's rejection inside of you, you're going to judge others as rejecting you. And I want to live with acceptance. They're relaxed in being themselves and they reproduce this in other people. I want to be a person that when I'm around people, they say, gee, it was nice being with him. Not because I want you to think Pastor Danny's the fourth member of the Trinity or anything like that. (laughs) It's because life really does suck earth and there's things that go wrong every day. We don't need to complicate it by living in an environment of rejection. So I'm going to show you a chart and then I'm going to close. Is that all right? And we're going to pray for people tonight and it's not going to go long, but it's going to be great. Okay, if we can put the chart up. This has changed so many people's lives. I use it with non-Christians and they bawl their eyes out when I show them this. There was a lady called Shoshana Zuboff. That's not a disease. That's a lady's name. She's Jewish and she's one of the top psychologists in the world. Years ago, she made a chart similar to this. I read it and I went and put my own chart together from a biblical perspective. So it's a little bit borrowed and a little bit mine. All of us at some time have happiness. Sometime in our life, we feel good. We have happiness. And then one day there's a trigger point. Something starts to bug at us and a trigger point starts and we start to feel discomfort. I don't feel good about this. I don't feel right about this. So what people do in the world is every time they feel this, they change their external world. They buy a new car. They buy a bigger house. They have an affair. I have a friend in Adelaide who's related to me who's got five or six brand new Ferraris a museum in his backyard of Porsches. He's now just bought another million dollar Ferrari from Jetson Button in England, a yellow Ferrari. And they sit in his backyard and he never drives them. He's on depression medication. And every time he feels discomfort, he buys a new toy to change his external world. But the fun only lasts less and less and less each time there's a new toy. The distance between the joy of the new toy and losing interest is getting shorter and shorter. So what happens is when you transition and change your external world, you get your happiness back again for a very short time until the next trigger point. And then you feel discomfort and you change your external world again. I've spoken to people on their fourth marriage And what they do is they're very happy with an opposite they meet at a dance club. The opposite to their personality, take them home and then try to make them like they are. So then the marriage falls apart. They go back to the club again and find someone exactly like the one they just divorced. And they go round and round the same cycle, transitioning, changing external world all the time. And then we end up on Prozac and we end up on other medication. As Christians, we have happiness and we also have trigger points. Stuff that happens at church. Someone upset us. Something happened and we start to feel uncomfortable. 
Instead of changing our external world, some Christians retreat. They just go inward. Don't want to talk about it. Pretend there's nothing wrong. Some Christians react and they gossip or they get upset or they go off. But we're meant to respond. Now, if every time there's discomfort and we respond, we address the issue. And every time we address the issue, we transform instead of transition. And so we change internally rather than externally. You see, God will allow for us to be annoyed so that we transform. Now, you've got Judas in the Bible, who every time something went wrong when he was with the disciples, he transitioned, but he never transformed. And he ended up hanging himself. The apostle Peter had many trigger points. He denied Christ and made a whole lot of mistakes, but each time it was brought out into the open, he transformed. One becomes a disciple and dies for Jesus, even though he denied him. And the other one killed himself because I don't want to be a transitioner in the kingdom of God. I want to be a transformer. I want to be someone who lets my internal life. So if I'm happy and then I'm unhappy, then I look at that trigger point and I go, God, I'm not feeling very comfortable right now. What is it you want me to respond to? What is it you want me to address so I can change internally and then I get my happiness back? That's why the Bible says, add to your faith. Add to your faith joy, long-suffering, perseverance. Because when you transform, you keep adding to your faith and you become more and more like Jesus because you know you're accepted. This is not rejection, it's acceptance. Does this make sense? I'd love some of you guys in church to have this in your counselling sessions. When you're talking to people, share this stuff with them. I've sat with non-Christians and showed them this chart and they go, oh my goodness. I just keep transitioning. The better car, the better house, the bigger job. Now we've got a generation of millennials that are going back to the minimalist look. How can we live with the less? How can we live with a smaller house? How can we only have a few clothes? People are so confused now that some of the the richest men in America in IT are saying, I'm just going to wear the same suit every day and just change a white shirt from a blue shirt. That's it. There's just too many decisions out there. And it's like the world goes round in a complete cycle. But I want to tell you, we're at the forefront. We're the Christians. We're the Christ ones. We're not the churchians. And we're not going to live with rejection, but we're going to live with acceptance. I want the musicians to come quickly. Thank you. Guys, I don't normally preach on this. But you know something? If we don't fix the brokenness in the church, how are we going to fix the brokenness out there? And I believe there's a shift coming. For this house. I honestly believe with all my heart, we've not talked about any of this, okay? I know very little about this church. Very little. But there's a a sift and a shift and a lift coming. Sometimes God will sift ways of thinking so he can shift how we think because there's going to be people in Dunedin that are going to need the hope of the world coming from Jesus, not from the world, the hope of God coming into their lives. And we need the potential in this house is unbelievable. And I want to tell you, there's going to be more talented people coming into this house than you think, how did we deserve those people? 
but they're not going to come in and demand they get used. They're going to come into this place and go, how can we serve? How can we get on board? How can we partner with you guys? And I want to tell you, there's a clarity coming. I've been speaking to the guys about the difference between management and ministry and how infrastructure in a church has to be the two are better than one and a threefold cord cannot be broken. If we have insecure people in the church, people will want to be in a certain position. But if we don't have insecurity in the church, we'll say, hey, wherever, wherever my God shape fits, wherever the tree fits, wherever my life can bear fruit, then if everybody's willing to die to self and say, search me, oh God, I know you know everything about me and no one seeks position, only seeks to be positioned. God wants us to be positioned where we bear fruit. I wouldn't have given up 6,000 people church with over 150 something thousand dollars a week in the offering or somewhere around there with a whole lot of staff if God hadn't fixed this issue in my life. I said to God, if you want me to hand the church over and go and do this five more times with older people so they can transition to a new generation, or if you want me to go to the country, Lord, and pastor a little country church for the rest of my life, I am not going to draw my success by how many bums are on seats on Sunday. I am not going to draw my success about whether I'm in a big city or a regional town. I'm going to draw who I am from knowing what you think about me. And when you say you believe in me, that's all I need to know. Because it's not well done, good and famous servant. It's well done, good and faithful. And after my son died, I want to see him in heaven. And I'm not going to do anything that's going to stop me. I'm not going to, I'm one decision away from becoming a total idiot. One decision. And I want to say, friends, I am not going to seek position in my life. And a new millennial generation is not looking for that anyway. We just want to be fruitful and we want to be positioned because we know we've been accepted. And we don't want to be like Cain and wander around in the land of Nod and always homeless. But I want to be, search me, oh God, if there's anything in me, go for it. Because I want to be fruitful and I want to be a man and a woman after your God, after your heart, God. While every head's bowed and every eye closed right now, time's gone. I hope the Holy Spirit has encouraged you tonight. Thank you for listening to this message recorded at Equipus Church, Dunedin. We pray it blessed you. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com.